You're listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so happy to have you for this thing we call a podcast. Very excited about our guest this week as we head towards All Out and October 2nd, the start of the AEW TNT weekly television relationship. We're going to have the fallen angel Christopher Daniels, member of SoCal Uncensored, also the director of talent relations for AEW. I knew he was involved. I was not aware that he was actually the director. So that's a a pretty good get, I guess. Uh, But we're going to be talking to Chris and uh, talk to him about AEW, also about his career. Uh, What a career when you look back. You don't even, you know, I'm not blowing smoke, and I told him that. I didn't want to blow smoke up his ass, excuse my French, Uh, when, uh, you know, because he was my guest. But, you know, when you start doing research and you see how many things he's been involved with prominently, uh, you know, it's 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 really amazing, and and this opportunity here, you know, gives him a, an opportunity to cement his legacy uh, in so many ways. So, looking forward to talking to him, and we will ask him, of course, uh, pretty much right off the bat, about the news that broke uh, this past week that NXT will be going. Surprise, surprise! If you guys didn't think that Vince was going to fight then you guys don't know what I've known for a long time because I was on the other side of that fight for a while. And uh, NXT, not on FS1 uh, for an hour, but on USA Network for two hours live, head-to-head every Wednesday against AEW show. I don't believe it has a name yet, AEW's television show. But um, so interesting decision. I, I... wasn't surprised at the FS1 one-hour rumors. Uh, a little bit surprised about the live every week uh, for two hours on USA. Uh, very interested to see how this will change the NXT brand, if it does at all. Uh, it's very different to do a pre-taped, uh, very controlled, uh, one-hour, very simple television show uh, to get characters over you know maybe get one or two angles over a week and it's a totally other thing to do two hours of live television every week um you know you got you need double the talent you need double the storylines and that means uh, you need double the packages and 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 it's not just as easy as one would think it's 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 totally taking the nxt what it's been uh since its inception uh, on WWE Network and blowing it up, really. And so it will be interesting to see if they could keep it uh, in Triple H's vision, so to speak, uh, or if it would become more of a WWE Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn type product. Um, I don't think anybody knows at this point what will happen, but it's if you didn't think things could get more interesting as a wrestling fan in 2019, going into 2020, Geez, that announcement was uh, uh, was pretty much a surprise. I was surprised at the live two-hour announcement on USA. So um, it will be interesting to watch. Uh, it's, I'm glad I have a DVR because I'll have to DVR one and I'll have to uh, watch live the other or I'll just DVR both and fast forward to them. I hate commercials. 
Um, but uh, it, uh, fasten your seatbelts, guys. Uh, it's time for an exciting ride. And if you weren't around for the Monday Night Wars, uh, you're going to enjoy this. And if you were around for the Monday Night Wars, it looks like it might be time for part two. And uh, we'll call them the Wednesday Night Wars. But a uh, uh, little competition uh, for WWE. And they have... Uh, momentum behind them every show that they've put on so far for the most part uh other than the show in daytona that was geared towards uh video a video game convention uh has sold out in advance all the pay-per-views all the um all the televisions that they put on sale so far uh boston philadelphia the first one in washington uh, i know after uh after this uh drops uh that Charleston, West Virginia, and Pittsburgh, I believe, will already be uh, on sale. And so far, everybody, everything's sold out first day. It gives me memories of uh, WCW, and uh, uh, we didn't even have to worry about a sellout. We just put tickets on sale, and by the end of the day, the thing was sold out. It was, uh, it was fun. I can only imagine these guys uh, are having a blast because uh, it's not easy. I will tell you that much. It is not easy. Uh, someone who's been involved in startups like the XWF. And I mean, we had Piper, we had the Road Warriors, we had Sable, we had Mean Gene, we had Bobby Heenan, we had Tony Schiavone, we had Jerry Lawler, uh, Hulk Hogan, Kurt Hennig. As somebody who's involved in that startup, it's just not easy to, to, to do what these people are doing, to do what AEW is doing. And I'm sure that's why Vince and WWE is taking it so seriously because um, – Becoming a, a wrestling promotion in itself, a new promotion is a uh, is, is a long shot. But becoming a wrestling promotion and pretty much immediately selling out every show you put on sale uh, is almost unheard of. Almost unheard of in this business. So, uh, like I said, strap on your seatbelt. It's going to be interesting ride. And in that vein, ladies and gentlemen, we are excited this week on City Ringside to talk to Head of Talent Relations for All Elite Wrestling and longtime legendary wrestler, the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. As we know, ladies and gentlemen, this Saturday, All Elite Wrestling on pay-per-view, AEW on BRLive.com, BleacherReportLive.com. It's all out, and it's their third major pay-per-view in the last year. And... Um, even more important to that than that, they are going back to my old stomping grounds, believe it or not. 20 years later, they're returning to TNT uh, every Monday for a long, long time. It was my uh, my home, and they're going to go, and I'm sure they're going to do us proud. On Wednesday, October 2nd is the first event. It's going to be weekly on TNT from, I believe, 8 to 10 Eastern time. Uh, and here with me, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, someone who maybe has the longest tenure in the wrestling business uh, as part of all elite wrestling if not it's close and that would be my guest this week the fallen angel christopher daniels chris thank you for joining us and um how are you sir i'm doing great man thanks for having me on the show today dave i appreciate it sure we talked about it uh i think it at uh the first Starcast, and i'm glad we were able to make it happen um so before we get into your career and and wow not to blow smoke because you're on the air and i'm and i'm dead serious I, I've been following your career both as a fan and 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 a, a, somebody who rang announced for TNA for a while and XWF when for that uh, couple of days and um, <laughs> and uh, I you know I knew I knew what you did and I followed it but when I started to really look in and see all the things that you were part of all the big um, the big you know uh, 
things in, in wrestling history that you are a part of that isn't WWF or WWE. It's really a, an amazing career. And uh, so I'm excited to get to talk to you about it. But before we get there, um, let's talk about All Elite Wrestling. Um, you and the rest of SoCal Uncensored were one of the first groups to sign. You were on the All In pay-per-view, which was not an AEW per se event. And I don't know how far after that eight, the whole AEW uh, thing got got officially started and it really doesn't matter uh, but I'm just I'm, I'm wondering what your thought about was when uh, the elite as they call them decided to do all in and the success of that and the transformation and beginning of all elite wrestling well um, first of all the 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 all in event that happened last year um, you know that that all I think everybody not everybody but uh, a good portion of the wrestling fan base understand the the bet that happened between Dave Meltzer and Cody Rhodes, and then um, Cody and the Young Bucks sort of having the idea of trying to run a show just based off of their popularity of the YouTube stuff from the being the elite show, and um, you know the the fact that they were probably one of the the most uh, popular groups in professional wrestling um, without the benefit of having like, uh, a, a real strong television presence. I mean, they were all on ring of honor television, but that's, you know, a syndicated, a syndicated, uh, television show, uh, in different parts of the country. So, I mean, they went out there and just based off of their popularity, they sold 11,000 tickets for the Sears center for all in. And I think that was one of the first glimpses, to Cody and the young bucks that this might be something that they could do full time. And so, um, I'm not sure like when the actual discussions with Tony Khan came around, but I know in January when my contract with ring of honor expired, um, they, they got a hold of me pretty quickly and, uh, made the offer for me to be a part of this. And honestly, just being, just being friends with Matt and Nick, like I am. And, um, it, it wasn't a hard decision for me. I mean, they, they, they gave me uh, this opportunity to be a part of something on the ground floor. And uh, I, I felt like all the, all the past stuff that I'd done with them in Ring of Honor and, and on the independent scene, I felt like these guys uh, definitely had a, a bright future ahead of them. And so I felt like it was a smart move for me to, to get in now on the ground floor, like I said. And, and um, you know, in the last couple of months, it's been a, it's been a little work, um, but here we are not a few, not more than a week out from all out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be something, man. And then, like you said, October 2nd, the real work begins, uh, AEW on TNT every week. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And I know all of wrestling is excited for it. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up because as we tape this, it just happened uh, yesterday, I believe. It was announced that uh, NXT Live is going to be airing on the USA Network head to head. I'm sure you guys probably, and I don't know how much information you have. I know you, I believe you work in the Office of Talent Relations, but as somebody who's worked in talent relations, doesn't necessarily mean that you have the pulse of what's going on in the, the front office. But um, that said, just wondering what your thoughts are are about going head to head with NXT? Well, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I, I feel like it, it just shows that WWE is taking all elite wrestling seriously. Um, you know, and, and it makes perfect sense for them to try and do something like that. But at the same time, I feel like, uh, 
in the in the world today where you know DVRs and things like that are a thing, I feel like if people are excited about all elite wrestling, they're going to watch it, whether it's live as it happens or or after the fact on DVR or whatever they do to tape it. Um, I, I, I'm not worried about our popularity. I feel like the opportunity is there for us to build on the the fan base that we already have, and um, you know, and, and having us on TNT on on national cable like that. That's a big deal, man. And and anybody that was around when uh, Monday Night Nitro was on uh, understands the the gravity of being on uh, on TNT and the history of it. And uh, I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah, it's fun. I I think Tony Schiavone is going to be a part of it, and Keith Mitchell, the executive producer, I know has has joined the fold. And I can't even imagine what it's like for those guys who were major players back in the, the Monday Night Wars. Uh, on TNT and Nitro and now are going to get to uh, rendezvous 20 years later. It's a crazy story, but it's a fun story, especially for the fans of professional wrestling and for the wrestlers themselves. Probably not a better time since the Monday Night Wars to be a fan or a wrestler. Let's go back, uh, if you don't mind. I found it uh, very interesting that you received a college degree in theater. I'm wondering if you had any thought when you got that college degree in theater uh, that you were going to be a wrestler or was it just a total coincidence and you wanted to be an actor and the theater thing was just a coincidence. I say that because I've talking to, I've spoken to a lot of wrestlers over a hundred plus uh, episodes of this show and you know, everybody has different backgrounds and I don't know that anybody's ever had a college major in theater, but it makes total sense if you look at it right now and, and how the wrestling business has evolved in the last 15, 20 years, it totally makes sense. But I don't know that there's anybody else, at least that I've spoken to, that, that has gone in that direction. So I was wondering what your thought process was or if that was just a total coincidence. Um, it was 100% a coincidence. Like when I was uh, in high school, I decided as a senior in high school that I was going to get into theater. Um, I always wanted to be... Uh, you know, I, I was wanted to perform in some way, I think. Um, and so I got into theater in high school and, and went to college with the idea that I was going to try and be an actor. And um, after I graduated college, I moved up to Chicago uh, with my fiance at the time, who's now my wife. And um, we were, you know, we were in, in Chicago. We were trying to get into the theater scene up there. And it was really tough. You know, I mean, there was a lot of opportunities, but not a lot of paid opportunities up there. And for someone that had moved from North Carolina to, to sort of live with his, his girlfriend, um, you know, we were looking for work and, um, I always joked in between auditions and things like that with my wife that, you know, if this, if this uh, acting thing doesn't work, it can always be a pro wrestler. Ha ha tongue in cheek. Um, well, she heard me say that and she found a wrestling school in Chicago and she made an appointment for me to meet, uh, the gentleman running it, uh, this was Windy City Pro Wrestling, and the gentleman's name was Sam DeCero. Yes, she sir. made an appointment for me to meet with him. And, um, yeah, so I went in and, and discussed the, the possibility of training uh, for professional wrestling. And my wife says I came out of the meeting, like, with with a, a glazed-over look, like I was hypnotized. And, um, and so, like, at that point in my career, for, uh, for acting, it wasn't really going super fast. I mean, I was doing a little bit of work, but nothing that kept me from wrestling. So literally, it was a matter of, well, I'll give this a shot and see what happens. And uh, I started training in January of 1993. And by April, 
um, they had decided that I was advanced enough to wrestle matches. And so they had me wrestling matches on the Windy City uh, wrestling schedule. And, and it was right around then that like I sort of gave up the idea of being a full-time actor and, and decided to jump in with both feet in the world of pro wrestling. And 26 plus years later, here we are. Two questions. One purely, purely personal, because anybody who listens to this podcast know I'm a hair fanatic, the, the Broadway show. Uh, were you ever in hair And when you were pursuing acting? <laughs> no, nah, I was never in hair. I was never even close to hair. In fact, with the hair that I had, I wasn't even, uh, I wasn't even discussed for any roles. In oh, they wear wigs. No. And I, the yeah, they wear wigs. The second one is knowing what you, knowing what you know now, uh, and being in this business successfully for 26 years, uh, would you say that, uh, as somebody who wants to be in the wrestling business, who's an athlete and going to college because they need that degree or they want that degree as a back, something to fall back on that theater is something that helps or is it two totally different, uh, uh, really things? Um, I, I think it helps. It certainly helps me. Uh, I feel like having a theater background, um, one of the main things that it helped me understand uh, was the idea of uh, playing to an audience. Um, you know, when you're in theater, there's there's different types of theater. You're doing theater on a stage, doing theater in a round. And so you, you understand the idea of trying to get the most amount of audience to see what you want to see. And that certainly helped me, especially once I started doing things in, in TNA and Ring of Honor, where there was television involved and I had to play to a camera, like that certainly that idea of knowing how to uh, project and knowing how to uh, open up to a camera, like that, that wasn't, it wasn't a foreign idea to me when I got into that. Like I understood that immediately. And so it helped me get comfortable wrestling for television. Um, it helped me get comfortable doing promos. Um, you know, just just the idea of, of getting on a microphone and saying things off the top of my head, like that was never a problem for me. Like a lot of guys sometimes get self-conscious about getting up in front of people and, and saying what they want to say. That was never an issue for me. Like I was day one, I was fine with all that. And that I think being in theater certainly helped me. Um, the idea of exploring ideas and exploring a character trait, um, like all that, that sort of came natural to, to me because of the, the the stuff I did in theater. Yeah, I think it's fascinating that that was your background. And um, I, I just think that's such a cool part of your story that I didn't even know. Um, in 1998, you signed with WWE. They sent you to, I believe, if the internet is right, and sometimes it's not, uh, the Funkin' Dojo uh, with Dory Funk Jr. in Ocala. Um, if that is correct, Dory is a friend of the show. I actually just ring announced a show for him a couple weekends ago up in Ocala. I'm just wondering uh, uh, memories of your experience with a uh, former world champion, second-generation wrestler like Dory Funk Jr. Um, well, the Internet's not 100% correct on that. It was uh, I didn't Darn sign it. with WWE. It was just an opportunity to go to the dojo. And at that point, the dojos were being held at Titan Towers. They weren't held in Ocala. Ah, I got so you. this was an opportunity where um, this was like a, a, a week, like a, a almost like a crash course or a boot camp at, um, at, at Titan Towers. And Dory was there and Dr. Tom Pritchard was there. And um, for that particular group, um, I was there with uh, Kurt Angle and uh, Steve Dr. Death Williams 
and Tiger Ali Singh and Glenn Kalka and uh, S um, and Steve Carino and Devin Storm. So like, I, it was an opportunity. There was like, there was like 12 guys overall that were going through this uh, training seminar, basically that Dory Funk was running, that Dr. Tom Pritchard was running. And um, at the end of it, uh, they had run shows. Uh, they they would uh, bring the guys that were in the camp to these independent shows. We did two shows uh, at the end of the week, and one was with promoter Jim Kettner, who ran the ETWA and did the Super 8 tournament, and the other one was with Killer Kowalski. And um, and so I was saying that, uh, you know, working with Dory, like getting an opportunity to learn from Dory was something that I'll never forget. And um, it actually led to an opportunity to actually wrestle Dory Funk Jr. Um, a couple of years later, uh, I went down to Ocala and wrestled him uh, for the bang promotion that he ran. And uh, all of that was, you know, all that happened because I had that, that chance in that dojo to, to meet Dory and learn from him. So it was, uh, it was a very cool experience for me. That's awesome. So you had a cup of coffee in WCW, and normally I wouldn't probably even bring it up because we have limited time and you, you have such an uh, uh, extensive career. But since I talk a lot about WCW on this show, because that's sort of my, you know, my, my story, I'm just wondering if you sure. could quickly tell us uh, uh, how it transpired and why it didn't work out. Well, I, I had actually I had two contracts with WCW. Um, the first one started, uh, in the beginning of 2000. Um, uh, I was, uh, there was a, a tryout that I had at a nitro event in Los Angeles and Kevin Sullivan, uh, hired me and, um, I was finishing up a tour of Japan and, uh, at the end of the tour of Japan, I was supposed to come in and start like coming, showing up to, to nitro. And while I was in Japan, Kevin Sullivan was fired. And Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff uh, took over the show. And actually, the night—I uh, can't remember what it was called—but the night that the night that they sort of reset everything in Denver, Colorado, uh, where they everybody came to the ring and they handed the titles out to to the different people. I want to say it was like the it was like the first night of the the Millionaires Club. Millionaires Club, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that first night in Denver, Colorado was supposed to be the day that I, my first day on the job. But because Kevin was fired, when I got back from Japan, I called, uh, I want to say J.J. Dillon probably, because at that point, that's the only number that I had. And I was like, hey, am I, am I still employed? And he said, yeah, you know, WCW hired you, not Kevin Sullivan. So yeah, we'll, we'll call you. So um, a couple months later, uh, I got a phone call they, they started giving me travel and I started showing up to shows and, um, uh, I just, at, at that point though, like they were, they were giving opportunities to the guys that were, uh, staying at the, um, the power plant. So, so guys like Elix Skipper and, and Mike Sanders and those guys, those guys were getting opportunities on television. And I, I was, uh, you know, I wasn't as well known to the creative team as those guys, because those guys were, you know, basically right there in front of everyone. So, um, I was coming to television and, um, not being used. And a couple of months later, JJ Dillon called me and said, Hey, you know, for the amount of money we're paying you, you're not really wrestling a lot. So we gotta let you go. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't really have a say in that. So I want to say that happened in 
maybe October of 2000. And then in January of 2001, Terry Taylor set up an opportunity for me to uh, have a match on Nitro against Mike Modest. And um, that was the match where uh, Mike and I were wrestling and I, I got hurt like in the first minute of the match, uh, landed on my head and lost all the feeling in my arm. And um, at the end of the match, Scott Steiner had come out because the week before, Sid Vicious had broken his leg wrestling Scott. And so they were trying to do an angle where Scott was breaking everybody's leg. So at the end of the match, Scott came out, uh, attacked me and Mike, broke our leg. And uh, at the end of the match, like when we came backstage, uh, Eric pulled us aside, myself and Mike, and, and offered us developmental contract. So we started a developmental contract there. And uh, so that was like January of 2001. And it wasn't maybe three months later that the company closed. And... Uh, our contracts were not uh, bought up by the WWE. I remember that well, unfortunately. Hey, I was trying to yeah. I was trying to figure up figure out which came first uh, in 2002, TNA or Ring of Honor, because you were instrumental in both. Um, there's really nothing that I was able to find that uh, said which came first. There's uh, seems like it happened around the same time. Do you know uh, which came yeah, first? Yeah, Ring of, Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor started in February of 2002 and TNA started in June of 2002. Gotcha. So um, I was on the first Ring of Honor show in February 2002. I was in the main event. And then I started with TNA. Um, they did one, they did their first show, they did two tapings or two shows worth. And then I was on the second taping, which was the third Wednesday pay-per-view. And that was my first uh, TNA show. So um, I was I was almost on the first shows for both companies. You were in the main event, as you said, on the first Ring of Honor show. I believe it was a three day three way with Brian Danielson and uh, who we all know is Daniel Bryan and Low Key. Um, yes. Did you have any idea at the time uh, that Ring of Honor would still be around? That it would uh, it would you know have success? And you know I know. It, they they had they sold out Madison Square Garden. A lot of that was based on, uh, uh, if we're being honest, a lot of that was based on on you guys that weren't there anymore when they ran it. But they still did sell out Madison Square Garden, which is something that many companies can't say. Did you ever think when you started in that first main event uh, that it would become what it became? No, I, I none of us really had any idea at that point. Um, you know, I was uh, making my living doing independent shows. And so at that point, it was really just another independent show. And, and the funny thing was, um, like that weekend, I remember um, I had done a show on the Friday in New Jersey, and then I did that show for Ring of Honor Saturday. And then the next day, we all flew to Las Vegas, and we did, the, um, we did a pay-per-view for uh, WWA. Right. Um, the, McManus. The McManus, McManus Project. Yeah, we did that. We did that. that that uh, pay-per-view out of Las Vegas. And so at that point, in my mind, I thought the WWA was staying because we were doing a pay-per-view. I thought that was going to be the, the project that I would be involved with, or at least uh, get an opportunity to do more stuff with. But it ended up where like the WWA stuff sort of fizzled out after a, a, a few tours overseas. And uh, 17 years later, Ring of Honor is still going strong. So yeah, I, none of us knew at that point, I think we started to get an idea 
you know, we, we were running once a month. And then uh, in, the, in that second year of Ring of Honor, they started doing shows outside of their home arena, which at that point was the Murphy Rec Center in Philadelphia. They started doing shows like in Boston and Connecticut and things like that. And um, that was where it was like, oh, okay, this is starting to become something more than just uh, one show a month. And, and that was where we had that idea like, okay, this is starting to become something real. Football season is upon us, and I am so excited. And as we know, it's a brand new landscape. You got Antonio Brown on the Raiders complaining about his helmet. Le'Veon Bell with the Jets, Odell Beckham in Cleveland, and you're always waiting to see who goes down with injuries. The one thing, though, ladies and gentlemen, that hasn't changed is where I'm putting my money on all the games. My bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend, and I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. That's why my bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, and they pay. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least 100 grand, and it only costs $100 to enter. And all you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. My booking also has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, of which I am one for sure, you could bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. That is my favorite perk of my bookie as somebody who is absolutely obsessed, obsessed, I tell you, with fantasy football and does a lot of research each week. It is potentially very rewarding to be able to use that knowledge and research on my bookie. Check this out. If you use my promo code RINGSIDE, you could double your first deposit up to $1,000 in first deposit bonuses. Use my promo code RINGSIDE, as I said, R-I-N-G-S-I-D-E, to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That is M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code RINGSIDE when creating your account to claim the bonus up to $1,000. Bet, win, get paid. Football's back, and so is my bookie. Any comparison to the start of Ring of Honor and the start of All Elite Wrestling or two totally different uh, situations? Um, not different at all. I, I think, uh, you know, the start of Ring of Honor, I, I think there's more buzz about All Elite Wrestling and there's more the start of Ring of Honor was really started with just a lot of independent guys that didn't necessarily have uh, uh, a name on the independent scene at that point. And I mean, you got to remember, this is like 2002, where the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is today. Right. Um, but I think if if the same situation had started, where if Ring of Honor had started in 2019, um, you know, I think you would probably start it with guys that had uh, the amount of buzz that guys like Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega and the young bucks have now, but in this day and age, there's not really anybody flying under the radar. If someone shows a little bit of promise, I feel like people are much quicker to sort of recognize someone uh, as a diamond in the rough. And, and that person gets a lot of popularity much quicker today than they did in 2002. 
Absolutely, 100%. Totally different scenario. Hey, um, let's jump to TNA. And uh, on September 11th, 2005, you had your famous three-way match with uh, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, and yourself for the X Division Championship. Um, some people would say, and I, I wouldn't disagree, that it's a match that changed the landscape forever of professional wrestling. What were your thoughts going into it? Did you want it to be a match that would change the landscape of professional wrestling? Were you guys just trying to have a great match? What were the thoughts? And then what were, were you blown away and surprised by the reaction, or did you expect it? Uh, well, I, I don't think anybody ever expects a match to become, you know, as, as popular and, and uh, you know, remembered in the future as that match that night. Um, yeah, we were just really, we wanted that, that chance to sort of go out there and show the world what we could do. Um, it was a situation where we had no idea until the day of that we were going to be the main event of this show. And I think the placement of the match, uh, it does a lot to sort of cement the legacy of, of the match itself. Like if that match was in the middle of the card, it might not have been as, as, uh, as heavily lauded as it was. But the fact that TNA decided to make that the main event, um, it, it said it said something for TNA at that point to sort of give the opportunity to three guys who didn't have as much notoriety as like the world championship match, which was Raven versus Rhino, you know, two guys that had, uh, you know, been established on national television previously, um, you know, to give us that opportunity to be the main event. It, it sort of showed the world that TNA was giving opportunities to guys that didn't, uh, that didn't have it in the past. And so I felt like we, we were given the opportunity to sort of take the ball and run with it. And we did. And, um, you know, the fact that, you know, 14 years later, people still talk about that as, you know, it's in the discussion as one of the best matches in the company's history. Um, to me, it says a lot. And, and the fact that AJ and Joe are in the positions they are now with the world wrestling entertainment, um, you know, it, it's it's cool to see my friends succeeding in the way that they are and, and enjoying uh, the benefits of all their hard work by, by being where they are today. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because when I was, uh, like I said, did some research for this uh, discussion. And when I was researching the three-way match, I, uh, I pulled up the, the web the, um the site for the that talks about it on uh, Wikipedia, and I saw that the poster had Raven and uh, Rhino on it, and I couldn't imagine, right. you know, now with the match and, and how famous it's become, you'd think that, uh, you know, you'd pull click that on on that uh, site, and it'd be you know three way match of the X division match of the century, uh, but yeah, it wasn't even mentioned, so it's just unbelievable how you guys, given the opportunity, were able to to blow out of the water um you mentioned joe and aj and wwe do you think that that match uh looking back changed wrestling at all or is at least the beginning of a change um i i think it just sort of let it, it, it gave credence to the idea that um you know the x division was was filled with athletes that had the opportunity and had the talent to be main event guys um, you know, and you look at the way that AJ and Joe were booked after that in, in TNA, I feel like they definitely um, were given opportunities at the top of the card that, you know, they might not have gotten uh, before then. Um, and even even AJ having the NWA title before that match happened, um, you know, this was the first year of, of broadcast pay-per-views for 
TNA2, and we were just about, like, we were a month away from debuting on Spike TV at that point when that match happened. And so I feel like that was the beginning of, of looking at AJ Styles and looking at Samojo as, as real main event guys. And um, so I, I don't know if it changed wrestling specifically, but I know it, it definitely changed the, the way that people looked at AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. And, um, you know, if, if they didn't know that those guys were top talent after that match, they did. And yourself, don't leave yourself out. Uh, it takes three to tango, as they say. Totally changing the subject. Um, I know that you're very serious when it comes to your craft and when it comes to your um, when it comes to your gimmick. Uh, talk, talk to me about Curry Man. Uh, I was always very entertained by Curry Man when I was in TNA, and and Curry Man showed up. Did Curry Man give you an opportunity to so- kind of uh, you know not be as serious and have a little bit more fun? Yeah, 100%. Like, um, I, I don't, some people do and some people don't know this, but um, the Curry Man uh, gimmick was something that I started in 1999 in Japan. Right. And um, uh, so, like you said, at that point, I was only like six years in my career when I started doing Curry Man. And I was real serious about my craft. I, I was, you know, I was trying to be this real wrestler. And, um, you know, they handed me this mask and this character. And, um, after a few months of trying really hard to be this serious wrestler who was wearing a mask with a plate of food on my head, <laughs> I sort of like had the realization, like, what am I, what am I being so serious about? I should go out and have fun and, and just enjoy myself rather than, than trying to be so serious and, and, and sort of, uh, just so, so rigid about professional wrestling. So I like, like at that point, like after about a couple months, I started doing the thing where I would wear hats, uh, these outlandish hats, big top hats or, or, or big sombrero style hat, uh, that covered up the plate before I took it off in this big presentation. I started doing dancing to the ring. I had this, uh, this ring music that, that sort of, uh, uh, gave me this opportunity to have this real elaborate dancing entrance. And, and once I started doing that, I, I realized I sort of like, it, be, being Curry Man was a lot more enjoyable to me, like going out and having fun. And I feel like that was when the character sort of got popular. And, um, you know, and, and so that was something that there was an opportunity for me and TNA to sort of do something different. And I pitched the idea of being Curry Man to them just because I was going through a creative funk in TNA where um, they weren't sure what to do with the Fallen Angel character. Um, we had tried a couple different things and nothing was really clicking. And, um, and I, I, I had written an email to Vince Russo at that point, basically saying, you know, to me, Fallen Angel doesn't necessarily need to be explained. It's just a, it's just a nickname. Sure. Um, so we can either do that. We can just let me go wrestle and, and do this as the, as Christopher Daniels, or what if I was Curry Man? And they, they sort of bid on that and they gave me an opportunity to do Curry Man. And so for a year I did Curry Man and TNA. And that was another example. That was just another moment where I sort of like, stop taking myself so seriously. And, um, you know, that was the first time that a lot of people in the States had ever heard of Curry Man. And so um, that was an opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, be someone different and uh, just enjoy what I was doing, try to be entertaining rather than being so serious and, and so, again, rigid about what professional wrestling could be. I, as I said, I loved it and a uh, big fan of Curry Man. Any chance that Curry Man might make an appearance uh, down the road in All Elite Wrestling? 
Um, I, I'm sure I would have to, as the, the head of talent relations, I would have to work on getting a visa for Curry, man. Um, so, I mean, that's going to be a little bit of work, but I'm just, you know, never say never, man. I'm sure his, uh, his dancing shoes are hanging somewhere in his closet. I was wondering when I was looking, is, was the feast and fired pink slip gimmick sort of a wink to you changing characters every year? It, it wasn't. It turned out that it did only because, uh, that was just the way things went. Like, the the timing of me uh, getting fired the first time as myself was the opportunity for me to become Curry Man. And then the second time, uh, I guess the Curry Man thing had just sort of run its course and they wanted to get rid of that character. And, um, you know, and that was the way to do it. Um, you know, I wasn't a big fan of that particular part of it just because I felt like, uh, you know, it, it, for me, you never want to take a baby face and fire him in front of everybody because that's a big downer. And I tried to explain that to those guys uh, at that time and they just weren't having it. So I tried to make it as entertaining as, as I could, but they were, you know, they were adamant about getting rid of the character. And so I just sort of leaned into it as best I could. But yeah, I, I just felt like it was sort of a, like a real sour note to be like, Hey, here's this character that's super popular. Let's fire him in front of everybody and, and uh, try to make a laugh out of that. And I was like, ugh. Okay, but whatever. So and and um, I, I think there was there was a period of time where they weren't sure what to do with me, and um, circumstances came around where I, I ended up having to do another math character for TNA at that point. And uh, if if that had if that hadn't happened, where I had to do the second math character, I don't know if I would have like still been with TNA at that point or not. Yeah, that was suicide, and there's been um, uh, uh, probably at least 10 wrestlers who have portrayed the character of suicide. And it's amazing that they all go back and they look at, uh, you know, the moves are always the same and the, the stances are always the same, no matter who's doing it, which is a big, uh, you know, tip of the hat to all the different talent that's been able to do that because it's hard, especially when you're, uh, when you're when you're you know been wrestling as a certain character for a while to be able to become somebody else, uh, I, I I talked to Frankie about that a little bit when he was on the podcast. I'm wondering uh, how did you take that as a challenge? How was that for you? Yeah, I I honestly I wanted I I think part of the the challenge for me was I think people knew it was me, but I always wanted to keep them guessing. Um, you know, I never, cause they never knew for sure. Like they assumed that it was me, but I always tried to, uh, carry myself in a different manner so that there was always questions of whether it was me or not. And I think one of the things that's sort of fun to do, uh, or at, at least a testament to myself and to Frankie is the fact that people aren't really sure when it was me and when it was him. And so that to me says a lot about both me and Frankie sort of putting all our, all our effort into, uh, the character to try and make it obvious or not obvious that it was us um, trying to make suicide a completely different wrestler than Frankie Kazarian or Christopher Daniels. And and it's just a testament to, to the things we did as that character that, um, you know, you can never really be, just be sure who it was at what point, you know? So April 2014, after 12 years, you made your final departure from TNA. Wondering why you decided to walk away, and uh, was it a bittersweet move considering uh, everything that you had accomplished, all the friends you had made, um, and, uh, you know, moving on? Well, honestly, it wasn't a decision I made. Um, my contract oh. came up. At, at that point, um, John Gaburik was the uh, head of 
talent relations. And he just told, he took me aside. This was the, the last time I did anything for TNA was one of those shows where they were taping one night, one night only pay-per-views at like 10 in the morning on a Saturday or whatnot. And yeah. so, um, I, was I did a couple of those. One of those. Yeah. I was scheduled to do uh, a pay-per-view and, um, I knew my contract was coming up. And so he took me aside, um, maybe two hours before I did this match and basically said, yeah, we're not going to renew your contract. We're just going in a different direction. Thanks for all your hard work. And so, um, you know, two hours later, I, I did a match, a ladder match with myself and Frankie wrestling, uh, Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards. And that was it. Um, but honestly it ended up being like, uh, it ended up being a blessing in disguise because, uh, I got let go. I want to say in that April of that year. And, um, maybe maybe august or september of that same year all of a sudden they stopped paying everybody on time and all of a sudden um you know they lost television and all this bad stuff started happening to the talent and honestly if he had come to me at that point if he had said okay well we're just going to renew your contract and and same same deal etc cetera, etc cetera, i might have signed it so i mean in the end it ended up being good for me because i i went right to ring of honor um i started working there and Right when Frankie and I started working at Ring of Honor was when all of the disasters started happening for them. They lost <laughs> uh, Spike TV. They went to uh, Pop or whatever whatever channel they were on. I can't even remember. But yeah, all this negative stuff started happening. All these people started leaving. And um, so, I mean, I would have been sick in the middle of, of not getting paid and just being miserable like a lot of those guys were. And so it ended up being a, a blessing to be let go when I was. Any thoughts on Dixie Carter? Uh, Dixie, you know, I it's I don't have bad feelings towards Dixie now. I mean, there were there were periods of time where decisions she made upset me, and um, but I mean, at this point now, with it so far behind me in my rearview mirror, um, you know, I know that none of the decisions that were negative were like made out of spite or malice. It was just her trying to do what she could to make this company what it was. And, um, you know, a lot of people got in her ear and sometimes she listened to the wrong people. Um, but I mean, me personally with Dixie, like I don't have any ill feelings toward Dixie. Uh, personally, she, you know, for a long time I was employed because of decisions that she made and, uh, I made a lot of money and, and honestly, before all elite, um, a majority of people that had seen my work had seen it because of TNA. And so like, I can't, I can't fault the fact that, you know, for a long time I was being, I was on a television show on Spike TV that was being seen by over a million people every week. And, and that a lot of that had to do with Dixie Carter. So I can't really, I'm not going to come on here and, 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 you know, belabor the points of bad things that Dixie did or didn't do or might've done. Honestly, um, it was a good point in my career and a lot of good came out of it. And so I, I don't really hold any, grudge towards Dixie in that respect. A couple more questions for you because I know your time is limited and I appreciate you uh, giving uh, your time at all. Uh, because you are, as you mentioned, director of talent relations, so it's not just showing up on a Saturday at a pay-per-view or showing up on uh, mon on Wednesday for t television taping. Um, tell me about uh, your involvement as head of talent relations for AEW, uh, how that's different from being a professional wrestler and why, what makes you good at it? Well, um, 
whether I'm good at it or not, I still <laughs> think it remains to be seen. I've only been doing it for a little while, but um, at this point, uh, the majority of my work has been trying to uh, maneuver the legalities of visa stuff. Like I've been working on a lot of um, visa work, visa petitions for the international talent. And, you know, because of, of uh, you know, guys like Kenny, who's had a lot of work in Japan and his views on like what women's wrestling could be, you know, there's a lot of Japanese uh, Joshi talent that we're, we're employing. And, and so I've been working a lot with them. And then um, we, we had a lot of talent from the UK. We've had a lot of Canadian talent. So, um, you know, there's been a little work on my behalf uh, and, and a couple of other people in our office trying to get visas for folks. Um, you know, but once the television starts, I feel like my job is going to be to, to be the person that, that talent needs to come to uh, in times of crisis, whether it's travel or, or, uh, or pay or any of that stuff. Like that's going to be, my job is going to be the guy on the ground, like talking to the talent and being the liaison between them and the office. And, um, I think if I'm good at it at all, I, I think it's because people respect me. And hopefully that's been the case. Hopefully that is the case. I feel like one of the things that I always strive to do was to treat people right and, and treat them with respect. And, um, you know, whether people liked working with me or didn't like working with me, hopefully they at least respected that I, I respected my efforts in doing what I do. And, um, and I feel like that's one of the reasons that Matt and Nick sort of uh, pushed for me to get this job was they felt like people could respect me in a, in a certain position. Um, you know, it's not like they, uh, you know, it's, it, it wasn't a situation where you had a, a complete stranger all of a sudden be the guy that you had to go to as the wrestler to, uh, to deal with the office. If, if you're working in, in AEW and you need to talk to office, you come talk to me and hopefully your relationship with me is positive so that you, you feel comfortable talking to me. And, um, and I, and I can help out. I, I try to sort of, uh, you know, put everybody's, uh, insecurities and fears about office and, and, the uh, you know, how serious and, and sort of disconcerting it can be to have to talk to your boss. Hopefully I can sort of allay those fears and, and make it easy for everybody to work together. And so, um, you know, I, hopefully it all goes easy for me. I'm sure there's going to be days where it's going to be tougher than not, but, uh, so far it's been, it's been good. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens once television starts once we really get the ball rolling with, with AEW as a company. As somebody who's done a little bit in talent relations, uh, I, I have no doubt knowing you, uh, you know, not great, but knowing you for a long time, uh, uh, your personality will be fantastic at it. And it's funny, whenever I think of talent relations, I think of Terry Taylor when we were in TNA. I don't know if he ever did this with you, but whenever he would call me, he would say, hi, this is Terry Taylor. I'm not calling to fire you. And until <laughs> in, until he didn't say that, <laughs> right? And, uh, I, I had the same phone call, so yes. Yeah, until, I, I've, had yeah. The, I've had the good one and the bad one from Terry. Yeah, so. yeah. I yeah, remember Terry, the way ahead. the way Terry treated the way Terry treated me um, was always respectful and very cool. So, like, he was certainly somebody that I'm going to try and uh, uh, emulate in the position. Um, he was always great to deal with, and he was always honest. And, and that's something that I'm going to try and be with these guys going forward. Yeah, it was funny when he finally uh, got the call that it was over. He said, hi, this is Terry Taylor. And I said, and? And he said, 
And I said, you're not calling to fire me? He goes, no. And, you know, and, and fortunately from there, it didn't get fired, just got let go. It was a money thing. But, right. uh, but <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. So last question. Um, TV starts on October the 2nd, as we mentioned. As we've discussed, uh, you've had a long, uh, very successful career, accomplished a lot. I'm wondering, other than the talent relations side of it, in the ring, what's left in your mind for Christopher Daniels to accomplish in all elite wrestling? Well, I mean, this is an opportunity. I don't know how much longer I'll be able to uh, put forth my best efforts in the wrestling ring. So, I mean, for me, it's a challenge to see how long I can keep doing it well. And I want to um, I want to be a part of matches that, that make people excited about all elite wrestling. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in uh, a situation with Frankie and Scorpio Sky that, um, you know, we've got a little bit of popularity behind us. And hopefully once we get on national television, we can sort of parlay that into um, some great storylines and some great uh, rivalries with some of the tag teams in AEW. And, and you know, that first year, there's going to be opportunities for, for matches to sort of be the, the example of what people say. Hey, have you seen All Elite Wrestling? This is what it's about. This is the wrestling that, that you could be watching on Wednesday night. And if if it's one of my matches that people are using as an example, then I want it to be something that, that brings people to the table and, and gets them interested in, in, in all elite and, and keeps them watching week after week. So, I mean, that's the challenge now is to, um, you know, once television starts rolling to sort of get uh, a string of performances on television that get people excited, that get the ratings, to where TNT wants them, to where AEW wants them, and to to get this show uh, to build this to build the reputation of AEW to the point where um, you know we're talking about it five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now. You know that it'd be great to think that in ten years somebody's talking about something I did on AEW the same way they talk about the three way match with AJ and Joe, or the first match I had in Ring of Honor with Key and and Brian. Um, I'd love for that to to be a thing. And so it's up to me to go out there and and have those types of matches. And um, that's the goal, man, is to to have those matches and to build this company. Well, I wish you guys nothing but the best of luck. Uh, Like I said, competition's great for everybody. And I don't think there's ever been a better time, at least since the Monday Night Wars, to be a fan or a professional wrestler. Listen, thank you so much for your time and your honesty. Uh, I really appreciate it. Great career. Uh, and I've, I've, I've enjoyed watching it uh, along the way a little bit for XWF. I wish we could have got that going, but, uh, but uh, never did. But um, uh, c- uh, congratulations on the talent relations thing. I know you'll be great at it. And good luck on the future of the company. Thanks so much, Dave. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. And, and thanks, for, thanks to your listeners for... Uh, putting up with me for half hour so i do appreciate it i i thought it was very interesting i wanted to have you on for a while so i appreciate your time i know i know you're very busy right now i can only imagine so thank you yes sir thanks so much i know that with the pay-per-view coming up uh and the television series started especially him being uh director of talent relations uh, he must be swamped. Uh, just getting all those people in on visas these days has to be a full-time job. So uh, thank you very much, and I appreciate it. What a career he has had. And uh, I'd love to see Curry Man come back and make an appearance in AEW. But don't forget, this Saturday, uh, it's all out on pay-per-view. 
Chris Jericho is going to take on Hangman Page to create the first AEW World Heavyweight Champion. And uh, we got the Lucha Brothers against the Young Bucks in a ladder match. And John Moxley against Kenny Omega. Cody against uh, Sean Spears with Tully Blanchard in his corner. And so much more. So I'm um, looking forward to that. You could go to AEW on BRLive.com or just BleacherReportLive.com. And uh, it's pretty easy to download. I've watched a couple of them, and um, and it's it's not hard at all to get it on whatever you might use as a device to watch uh, what they used to call television, which is now you can watch it on anything. God bless. Uh, so... Wish them the best of luck, as we do everybody. And speaking of uh, other promotions, next week on this podcast, uh, we are scheduled to have Eli Drake, who is now uh, exclusively with the NWA, Billy Corgan Project. They have, I believe, uh, Nick Aldis and himself and James Storm uh, as exclusive members of the National Wrestling Alliance. And they've announced that they're going to do their television uh, tapings out of Atlanta this fall. So really interesting time uh, uh, to so many players in this game. You know, obviously AEW, uh, you know, has the momentum and the, the TNT presence that everybody covets. But, you know, Billy Corgan is making a play and Ring of Honor still hanging. Even Impact still hanging around. God bless my friend Scott Demore and and, and them, and, and hopefully we'll be able to visit with some of their talent in the future right here on City Ringside. But looking forward to talking to Eli Drake. Hey, if you have a question you'd like me to ask Eli Drake, hit me up on Twitter. My Twitter address is at David Penzer, all one word, at D-A-V-I-D-P-E-N-Z-E-R. Or you could uh, hit up the show's Twitter at, at Penzer Ringside. So we'd love to have you. Uh, if you have a question for Eli Drake, if you have a suggestion for a future guest, and uh, if you just want to talk wrestling, um, very interactive in that vein. So um, uh, come join us uh, on this thing that they call Twitter and social media. It never ceases to amaze me. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, it's fun. So until next time, I'm with Eli Drake from NWA, National Wrestling Alliance. This is David Penzer, still City ringside. Enjoy All Out. We'll talk about it next week. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Hey, gang, Jerry Pizza Hug here, co-host of the brand new podcast called A Place for My Head. Each week, Brandon Thompson and I are going to be talking about the importance of mental health. We're going to be talking everything from stress, anxiety, different mental illnesses, different chronic illnesses, and frankly, the rigors of everyday life and how we all struggle to get through it. We're not medical professionals, but we are looking to start that conversation that needs to be had about the stigma around mental illness and how it affects us every single day. We'll talk to experts but at the end of the day a place for my head is all about real people with real stories about real life subscribe now to a place for my head with brandon thompson and myself jerry p talk first show drops monday september 2nd on apple podcasts stitcher TuneIn radio google podcasts and radioinfluence.com